Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of my podcast, I Stand Strong. That's right, this podcast can drive, baby. Um, I am always, is Teddy, coming at you from my bear cave in the concrete jungle of the beautiful Northwest. And uh, I don't have any guests today, unfortunately. Um, you know, didn't have, didn't have anybody lined up, didn't really have any topics to talk with anybody just yet, but I do have some things I'm uh, tossing around. Um, so it's just me. But uh, that's okay. I've got some uh, going old school. I've got some some plans. I got I got an idea. Um, now on here, I've talked about I am a I am a comic nerd. In fact, as I'm standing here and you know recording this, I have original art as well as a shit ton of trades sitting in front of me, as well as a lot of other collectibles in boxes still or boxes of. Uh, Boxes of individual issues of comics sitting in my closet, but um, I'm also I I also really like a lot, not all, but a lot of the comic book movies out there. But you know, as uh, as at some point in time, maybe I'll get uh, Michelle on here to uh, to help me get into this a little more. I'm not always the I'm not always the most easy to please when it comes to a comic book movie. Um, even though Marvel, I think, is knocking it out of the park with, I'd say, 85% of their movies. Um, but I do have my issues. And this this is a topic that she actually brought up at one point in time is, you know, cover some of the things I've, I've had issues with, so to speak, in comic book movies. Um... So since since I am way more Marvel heavy in the movies, I'll, I'll start with some of the problems I've had in the Marvel universe. Um, and heck, we'll we'll start with like at the beginning because you know let's face it, it all kicked off because John Favreau somehow got Robert Downey Jr. to come in and play the perfect casting of all time for Tony Stark. Um, especially you know you get the correlations between Robert Downey Jr. you know his troubles with substance abuse earlier on, you know, now he's all clean and he made this amazing comeback and here he is playing Tony Stark, a character that they never really tackled in the, they never really tackled it well in the movies, very much an, an alcoholic. And, you know, I mean, he's, you know, it, it was, it's a, been a big part of his, uh, his arcs and comics at points, but the first one was great. Um, so I'm going to talk more about the second and the third ones as far as my issues, because the first one I really don't have too many issues with. I really think it, you know, it did a decent job at, you know, you know, kind of sliding timeline up and making, you know, Tony Stark, you know, you know, yeah, instead of it being, I, I can't remember where he was in the comics originally when he created the fursuit but you know putting him in you know the middle east because it it fit a little more to the time frame and you know all that stuff really really worked with the second one i really got a feeling that that was where marvel stepped in it's like oh wait a second we have something on our hands so yeah i i like i like the fact they introduced um you know they brought nick fury in way more like i liked him and i liked the introduction of uh Scarlett Johansson as uh, as Black Widow, but the second movie was not good. Um, I think ninety percent of it comes down to to me. You're trying to make me believe that Mickey Rourke is a super genius, and maybe if they would have controlled his performance better, it could have been believable. But it wasn't very. It, it didn't work to me. Um, he just came off as flat. Like I didn't mind him as whiplash. He did a good job in that, you know, in those points when he just had to be whiplash, but trying to make me believe he was this super intelligent person just for some reason didn't work to me. Um, I really think they should have pivoted on that one and had it be like, maybe, uh, Mickey Rourke's character, because his father did work so closely with Howard Stark and a lot of the Stark tech was stolen from, you know, was rumored to be stolen from his father. He knew the tech and maybe he's more of a mechanic level 
And then you use the Sam Rockwell character of Justin Hammer, who was criminally underused in it. Why not have him be the 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 genius one and have it just be he teams up with I can't even remember the character what Mickey Rourke's character's name is. I just know him as Whiplash. Um you know, why not have him be like you know, them them team up and at some point in time, because he knows the tech better because of his father, he just kind of Back, you know, kind of like backdoors, so to speak, Justin Hammer to the point that that's how he he becomes, you know, the villain. Like maybe Justin Hammer just wanted to legitimately be the, you know, the 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 weapon manufacturer. But then, uh, you know, then you have uh, Mickey Rourke kind of be the the brawn behind it, and, and I think that would have worked way better. Um. That and you know, I really liked uh, you know another thing I liked about. So yeah, I'm I'm not just going to do the bad stuff. I'll talk about what I do like about these movies too. Because like the the sec you know the second one, I also really liked. Um, I thought Don Shadel 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 however you pronounce his name was a really good replacement for Terrence Howard. I would not want to have seen Terrence Howard in the the War Machine suit. I just don't. I I didn't. I didn't like him as Rhodey in the first one. He was okay. He just he was serviceable, but he wasn't great. Um. So yeah. So uh, I I just I would have loved to have seen them do a little more with Justin Hammer and have like I said have the Mickey Rourke character kind of just be this. You know, like like I said, the brawn of the situation, and he just you know betrays Justin Hammer because he can't see past his revenge, the revenge he wants on Tony Stark. Um. So yeah, that that was kind of like that. That's ninety percent of the problem. I mean, I think they also do a decent job in that one with uh they that I think that's the one that comes the closest to really tying into the alcoholism of Tony Stark. I mean, you do have the whole birthday party scene where he's, you know, he he thinks he's dying because he's being poisoned by the the arc reactor in his chest. But they really kind of downplay it to just this one scene where I would have loved to have seen them add that up and at some point in time have it become a bigger problem. Like, we're point in time when the Avengers are all fully in place. They've got to be like, listen, this needs to, we, you know, we need to do something about this. Whether that would have been a great sequence you could have had of like maybe the the Avengers doing an intervention, you know, as friends coming at him with it, but I don't know, you know, it. But it did make for some, you know, like I I, I do shamelessly laugh when he pees the Iron Man suit at one point in time. Um, but yeah, like two, just like I I feel like it was. Two was kind of this. There was like Marvel, like, hey, now we're pushing this universe, so let's show us what we're gonna do. Show you what we're gonna do, and it it really kind of didn't. It didn't live up to what they could have done with it, which brings us to Iron Man three, which of course came out post Avengers. And so, what I really liked they did with Iron Man three, like a lot of Iron Man three, I don't mind. I think it plays okay. Um. I like the fact that you do have, you know, Stark is now facing this, you know, dramatic PTSD because of what he saw on the other side of that portal when he dropped the nuke through it um, and all that kind of stuff. And I love the stuff with him and the little kid. I thought that played really well. Um, however, I really didn't like how much they played down Extremis because Extremis is one of my favorite Iron Man stories. And given it came out of time when Iron Man was still kind of a BC level character. Um, if I remember right, that is, I could be wrong, whatever. Um, but yeah, with the extremists in the comic, it was way more of a serious weapon that like one, sure it was hard to control, but there was like a, basically a person who had control of it and they were using that, and Stark couldn't even take him down on his own, so he had to use Extremis himself to basically to become what you know 
to to fight this guy and they really kind of made extremists into this thing like oh yeah it's 90 percent of the time it doesn't work and even then it kind of just gets forgotten after the movie um so it really kind of like it really kind of hurt that they 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 really took small aspects of one of my favorite arcs and didn't do a very good job with it um god damn why is my mic fucked up um sorry i'm adjusting my mic as we speak here um but uh then you get to the whole mandarin thing which i love ben kingsley he's a great actor and I didn't think he did a job, bad job as a Mandarin. Where the problem with Mandarin comes in was how late in the movie they reveal that, oh no, he's just this this actor that's all drugged up, and he's basically the scapegoat for what. Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the the guy Pierce character now off the top of my head. Anyways, you know, like for what he's doing, you know, and like, oh no, we're just like we've had these. Uh, or they they were ex-military that were you know they were army vets or whatever that were taking this extremists to try to you know like basically I don't know they, I don't think they ever really explained why it was these people were agreeing to it but anyways it was causing them to go po- like basically go supernova and kill kill people so they he made this mandarin character just as a a way to cover it up and they reveal it like three quarters, if not deeper into the movie. And I really felt that <clears throat> that hurt the Mandarin. And it really didn't give Guy Pierce's character much time to, to build, to be the, the, the big bad that. And I really kind of didn't like the fact that they like just killed off Rebecca Hall's character so quickly. And, you know, I feel like they could have done more with her in the, you know, by the end of that movie, but, uh, but yeah, the Mandarin thing just like, well that, and then like, you know, coming out of it, where's, where's the lasting stuff? Like after that movie, you no longer have, um, you no longer have pepper. Like, you know, he got rid of extremis, but they don't explain how he did it. They, there's no lasting repercussions to that movie in the long run. And few ask me, they really just don't do anything with it. It's just kind of there. Um, I mean, sure, you know, later on in uh, Shang-Chi, you did get Ben Kingsley to come back as the actor, uh, Trevor. And I loved everything to do with him in Shang-Chi. Um, but it just kind of, it still felt off. I don't know. It's like it, it was like they kept trying to, you know, recapture that lightning in a bottle that was Iron Man 1. But it never really kind of, never really kind of found it again. Um, but like I said, you know, I, I loved all the stuff with Tony's PTSD. That that made sense. That gave me an arc that kept me interested in it, at least more than two episode, uh, Iron Man two, which I still feel is probably the weakest of the Marvel movies. I mean, it's it's. Yeah, there's some other ones that I could definitely see uh, kind of duking it out, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, that that's going to wrap up the Iron Man, because like I really don't have any much more to say about it. I mean, I, I've said all I can say about the Iron Man stuff, but um, uh, so I'll go to I'll go to my favorite character because, like, you know, I'll I'll I'll, sh- I'll show the. I'll show where, where it's played there, too, because, you know, I'm 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 a huge Thor fan. I I really wanted to like some of the like the, the the Thor movies like and and I will I am a I'm an apologist to them way more probably than I should be sometimes. Um like the first Thor I thought was a really good introduction to the character. Um I thought it did a decent job at introducing Hawkeye. I mean sure he's only like what three minutes of the movie, but it did a really good job. And I thought Jeremy Renner, you know, it was great to show, see Jeremy Renner come in in that character. But I really wish they would have done more with Asgard in the first one. It felt like the second one was all like, oh no, we're just going to do Thor fall into Earth, which I get that. That kind of gives him the connection to Midgard. But at the same time, it's like, if you want to do the Earth stuff, like, 
you know, the, and this is this is nitpicky, and I know it. You know, I'm I am I'm a big fan of. I've always loved the stuff with with Donald Blake, where Thor is only Thor and Asgard until Donald, like on on Midgard, he's Donald Blake, and then you know Donald Blake is this you know uh, he's a doctor that has like a a walking stick, and if he slams a walking stick, he becomes Thor. So he's you know, he's basically the human avatar of Thor. And they've gone back and forth on how they've tackled that in the comics. Like, if it's, you know, they're both, you know, like, he's, like, there's been points where Donald Blake was literally nothing more than just a person that only existed to be Thor's, you know, like, kind of avatar on Earth. There's been a version where it's, like, when this swap happens... Thor comes to Earth, but Donald Blake goes to Asgard and kind of just bides his time while Thor's fighting on Earth. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, I guess I can understand how it it didn't, you know, it didn't, wouldn't have worked real well probably with it, having him have the human avatar because then you got to keep going with that forward. So I guess I can kind of see it, but it did kind of, it was kind of one of those things I wish I would have seen. However, I, I, do remember being in theaters watching the first Thor and Thor puts on the shirt that says that that has the name tag on it. Hello. My name is Donald Blake. And I start laughing. I look around and realize nobody else in the theater is laughing. And at that point I realized I'm the only person who's read a Thor comic. So the only one who got that joke. And I remember, I want to say I went and sat with my brother-in-law and he gives me this look like what's so funny. And I just kind of had to tell him, I'll tell you in the, I'll tell you when the movie's over. Um, but really, you know, th- those are, like I said, I just had some small nitpicks with the first one. The second one, however, I felt like they really they really dropped the ball with the second one. I like it. I still think it's fun to see Thor. You know, you get a lot more of the Asgard stuff. But it kind of comes down to the villain, I think, in that one. You know, I mean, you think about it. I mean, they got uh, Christopher Eccleston playing... Uh, Malekith, who Malekith is a really good villain in comics, and they put him in this one. They put him in a lot of makeup they didn't need to put him in. They really fought to get the whole face thing going, you know, with him getting burned partway through the movie. But they really didn't do anything with him. I mean, he really kind of just served as, you know, it, it kind of came into the sec- same thing as like Iron Man 2, where it kind of felt like he was nothing more than just a way for them to introduce the ether, which then could be turned into an infinity stone so they could build their universe. Um, but that said, it's, it's not a horror. It's still not a bad movie. I mean, it's still better than 90%, but you know, but it definitely, it definitely had some failings. Like I liked the stuff with Dr. Selvig being completely, you know, completely out there and not really uh, the most intelligent person on earth <laughs> because he was like snapping or whatever. I think it was due to the, the brainwashing in, uh, in Avengers, but yeah, it just, it, it didn't seem to work properly. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I love Ragnarok. I, I can't say a bad thing about Ragnarok other than I just feel like there was no lasting effects to Ragnarok in the long run. I mean, other than, uh, you know, you get Thor and, and the Asgardian people like no longer have a home. But in doing so, Hela and Surtur got completely wasted. And those are two other villains in the, the Thor canon that or in the, the, the Asgardian universe that really could have had a lot more done with them. That and making Hela his sister. I was like, eh, you didn't need to do that, but okay. Um, but I could look past that one. But like, yeah, like Surtur and Hela just kind of, like Hela just served as a way to get Thor to, oh, I can't remember the name of the planet. No, Scar. So that you could have the, the planet Hulk stuff. So really, was it really a hundred percent a Thor movie? It really kind of felt like more. It's like, no, we're not going to get to do another Hulk movie, so we'll do Planet Hulk with Thor. But it led to still one of the best scenes in Marvel, where you get the fight between Gladiator Hulk and Thor, and all that stuff. And, and you know, like I said, it, it and you get 
a really good turn of uh, Carl Urban, who I know uh, Tony and Michelle are going to be rolling their eyes because I mentioned Carl Urban because I'm a I'm unapologetically Carl Urban fan. Like anything he's in, I will watch it and love every second of what he does, even if the movie's shit. Um, but you know, like him playing Scourge was awesome. Oh my god! Like him, you know, introducing his, like you know, introducing his his stuff to the the women of Asgard in that one scene, and he's got uh, the two guns. Um, oh god, what were they called? I just remember it was stupidly they were stupidly named. But um, anyways, uh, but it did lead to a great, you know, a, a nod to a great issue of of Thor comics, uh, called the last stand of scourge. They changed who he's fighting in it, but the whole thing of him with the two machine guns holding off the armies of Hela at the end of, uh, Ragnarok was an amazing gut punch issue for a villain that nobody, you know, like he was a villain up until that point, And then he, for whatever reason in the battle with Surtur, he decides he's gonna, he's gonna become hero and he holds off to let every you know holds off. I think it's the gate at the gates of uh, the gates of Musfelheim or something along those lines to let everybody else get away. And he he sacrifices himself. And it's this badass moment that had this little bit of you know little bit of emotion to it. And they did a really good job at capturing that. But once again, Hela's just kind of there. You know they 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 bring her in. You know Kate Blanchett does a decent job with it. I, I liked her part, but it just, like I said, she was there just to get them to uh, Sakar and to be the final showdown. And then Surtur is just like essentially like bumper parts of it. I mean, he's in the beginning to get that funny moment with Thor trapped by him. And then he's there at the end to destroy Asgard. Um, What they're kind of drop the ball on is Ragnarok is supposed to be the end of the gods. It's not Ragnarok unless the gods die. Cause that's part of the cycle of Asgard or, or of the nine realms is, you know, or well, mostly Asgard, but you know, Asgard gets destroyed. All the gods die and they're resurrected. Um, and they kind of just turned it into, Oh no, Thor's going to sacrifice Asgard to allow Surtur to take it. So that he can kill Hela, because he can't defeat Hela on his own. And, eh, I mean, it It falls a little flat, but once again, I'm nitpicking. And, you know, maybe it is because I am such a Thor fan. It's like, you know, there's so many things they could have done still that they just kind of left out on the table or just completely disbanded because they just had to get to where they were going in a bigger universe instead of focusing on the individual um so yeah that's that's kind of the 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 thor for me let me see here let me look at my notes ah there we go um dr strange which is another great character yes i'm sticking with the mcu for a little bit here uh dr strange which is another character that i've really liked when he's written well um benedict cumberbatch great casting for it benedict wong badass to play Wong just happens that his name matches um however I really wish they would have done more of what Doctor Strange really is instead of just being like hey you know what that you know that movie Inception that was really cool let's just have his powers basically be Inception because really in that first movie all they really had him do is fold reality around him a couple of times and you know do the the teleporters which you know do have a bigger part to play and that's kind of cool but for the most part it's like it's just like him folding reality around it so you have like a bunch of them running around buildings that are folding in on themselves and it it didn't fit what doctor strange's power set actually is so that kind of kind of bothered me a little bit but i i still like the movie once again i don't think it's i don't think it's great i'm really looking forward to the second one especially now that you know through ragnarok the little bit he was in in ragnarok um 
his huge part to play in uh, Infinity War and Endgame, where they really started playing with what his powers actually were. And although I haven't seen uh, Far From Home or No Way Home, it looks like they're doing more of what the true Doctor Strange is and well into this one, not to mention the fact that Multiverse of Madness is a Doctor Strange movie directed by Sam Raimi. And so help me God, this is my chance to get my my hopes are up that he does more of his horror-leaning stuff in this when he has the chances. Because, I mean, he, he did it in uh, Spider-Man 2, that sequence where Dr. Octopus wakes up on the table and the arms, like, just slaughter everybody in the room. That was so awesome to see because that was Sam Raimi doing one of his more mainstream movies with his horror sensibilities. And I'm really hoping this comes into Multiverse of Madness. Not to mention the fact that we're going to get to see... You know, Doctor Strange team up with uh, America Chavez, who's another character that I'm really, I'm really happy they're introducing, and it gives me more hope that at some point in time there'll be a Young Avengers. Um, and then you've got uh, Scarlet Witch coming back, and I'm really intrigued, especially after uh, WandaVision, which. I thought the beginning of that show was a little slow, but I had fun with it. I thought the ending kind of fell flat, but that's beside the point. Um, I'm really intrigued to see where they go with this this movie. So, but yeah, so the, the first one though, like I said, it was Inception in the Marvel universe. Um, I think the 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 furthest his powers really got out there was him, you know, doing the time loop to uh, annoy the hell out of Dormammu, which was funny. It worked. Well, that, that okay, I'll also say they kind of also underutilized Mads Mikkelsen, another really great actor in a villain role, but they really didn't do a whole lot with him. He's there, you know, his, his, his motivations are kind of thin. Um, not nearly as thin as uh, Baron Zemo in Civil War, but... That's another whole thing. Um, probably go into that one next now that I think about it. But um, but yeah, it just it 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 was serviceable and it introduced the character, and I guess that was good. But it, I really wish they wouldn't have just done. Hey, look, let's do Christopher Nolan in the Marvel universe. Yeah, not my thing. One, but maybe it doesn't help that I wasn't a fan of Inception. I thought it was a little too. Uh, up its own ass, so to speak. Um, a little too high concept. Definitely way more Christopher Nolan than it needed to be. I think that he's one of those directors that needs to be under control. Because um, when he gets too far out there, you end up with Inception or one of his other movies that just went a little too, a little too more too high concept than it needed to be. Um, so yeah, now I, I mentioned Baron Zemo, so I'll get into this one. You know, I didn't even think about this till just now. Baron Zemo's plan in Civil War was way too thin. I get you wanted to do Civil War. You laid some good groundwork for it in previous movies, but doing Civil War based on this really weird scheme where one little domino, when there was millions of them, was slightly out of place and none of it happens was weird to me. You know, it's like, he, because uh, like, okay, Wanda picks up crossbones and throws him a different direction, or the bomb doesn't actually go off, so no one gets hurt. You know, maybe Wanda just keeps him in a protective bubble when he explodes, so none of that damage goes anywhere. His plan's shit. It doesn't do anything anymore. Um, Tony reacts differently to something, given... Tony reacting the way he reacts to finding out the Winter Soldier was the one who killed his parents. I don't think there was another way for that to go. That part actually worked to me. And But, you know, the other thing is, like, who's to say they actually fight? What if they all just were like, you know what? No, this is, this is what's best. We're going to keep people protected by doing this. We're going to go along with it. Or what if all of them turned against the government? The, go the, the, the plan just... There was way too many... Oh, way too many little things um, that just didn't 
hold together. You know, what if what if Winter Soldier was never captured? Therefore, he could never use the the words to release Winter Soldier, you know, or like to to threaten turning Winter Soldier bad again. Or you know, there's like he had this this real house of cards of a plan that yeah, it all worked out the way he wanted it to, kind of, but it could have easily fallen apart. And it was like, you know, it was there was way too many small parts that could have easily not gone the way he wanted them to, and none of it happens. That said, once again, I love Civil War. I think Winter Soldier is the best Captain America movie, don't get me wrong, but Civil War did a good job at at least going forward, you had that kind of thing going into Infinity War and Endgame of Stark and and uh, Cap aren't talking. You know, they, they're very much at odds. So that makes it so you have them split, which then makes the invasion part play out a lot better leading into, you know, Endgame where you still kind of have hostilities between the two of them. But they managed to find that that common ground in the fact that they want to fix what's what what went wrong. Like they they failed. They got their butts kicked in at the end of Infinity War, and they both want to fix that. Even though Stark wants to do it with the caveat of he cannot lose what he's got, and I understood that one. So yeah, I mean it, it worked, but you know. These are these are like I said. I've got my my little my little nitpicks, and I I could keep going with these nitpicks and keep rambling. Um, So I'm just going to go to the next one. That's the the to me is the elephant in the room of the Marvel universe, and that's the Eternals movie. Um, I'm not real familiar with the Eternals as comics. I've never really read them. Um, I had no problems with the gender swaps they did. Had no problem with them making. racial changes to any of them when the comic was written it just wasn't done very often with you know strong female leads or you know other ethnicities for the most part um but that movie makes no sense in the grand scheme of the marvel universe it completely undoes things that in you know, when you think about it, at least, it undoes things that have been established in the Marvel Universe. Okay, in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, you get the Collector explaining the Infinity Stones and how the Celestials created them as weapons and all this stuff. They mention nothing about Eternals in there. How does he not know? He knows all this stuff, but he doesn't know anything about these Eternals that are going around you know, spoilers for Eternals if you haven't seen it. Destroying planets to birth new Eternals or new Celestials. That's kind of a glaring witness on top of the fact that Thanos, in the end of the end of Eternals, you have a uh, a post-credit scene where Eros shows up and introduces himself as Thanos' brother, which means Thanos is an Eternal. Where is that mentioned? Why is that not a thing? Like, and on top of that... Why would Eternals just sit there and let him do this? I don't care what their explanation is. He is like, okay, you want to look at it from their things. They have to let the planet get to so much before so that a mass, like basically a mass homicide can happen to birth the celestial out of the planet. Having half the universe wiped out kind of counter does anything they're trying to do. So why would they allow this to happen? Why wouldn't, I can't remember the name of the Celestial that ran the Eternals group. Be like, hey, you have to stop this. This is going to hurt our plan in the long run. But no, it just, no, no, we'll just let it happen. On top of the fact that Thanos is a Celestial, is a an Eternal. He's the son of an Eternal. Why is this, this, this right here is what really irked me about the movie. And that said, I liked the movie itself. Like, if you take it out of the Marvel Universe or you don't have it as part of the the whole Marvel Universe, it was a good movie. It actually made a believer in me. I saw the first trailer. I thought it looked stupid. But then, you know, on top of the fact that, you know, casting Salma Hayek, casting um, Angelina Jolie, uh, 
two Game of Thrones actors. All of it kind of felt uh, stunt cast to me, especially the Angelina Jolie one and the Selma Hayek one. I mean, the two Game of Thrones actors, it was only a matter of time. Game of Thrones was a big enough, you know, sensation that they were gonna, there was going to be a carryover. Um, but, you know, the, the whole thing with Angelina Jolie was actually the biggest shock to me because I went in wanting to hate the fact they put Angelina Jolie in the Marvel universe and her storyline with, was it, she's Thena, he's, uh, Gilgamesh. Yeah. Gilgamesh. Uh, I want to say is what it was. Um, but anyways, he's, you know, the, that storyline was really the standout to the movie. Like the whole thing of her like slowly going crazy. So everybody's afraid of her because she could, you know, she could kill them all randomly because of, I can't remember what they called the sickness. Um, and, you know, here he is, he decides to take her, you know, like when they all split up after, uh, Oh, it was the falling of Alexandria, I believe it was, or something. I can't remember. Like, see, this is how much it stuck with me in the long run, really. Um. Anyways, when all the Eternals go their separate directions at one point in time in the in pat in the past, he goes off with her and agrees to be her caretaker. Well, then, in the the present timeline, when they go looking for her, they find them still together, and they're this. It's this great little thing of like when she starts to kind of go off the deep end or she starts to kind of slide into that he's always there to kind of be that that calming force and it was this beautiful story i kind i kind of liked the the story with uh oh i just sprite the whole thing like that was another story that i think really kind of came around to me as far as being a good one you know you got this this little kid that's got but basically, like you call it Peter Pan syndrome, you could call it Pinocchio syndrome. Never going to age. But um, she's been on the planet for millennia, and she's never aged past eleven or twelve. That's got to do some damage to the head, man. Because um, at some point in time, mentally, you become, you know, you become a, an adult, but your body's still prepubescent. That's got to do some damage. Um, so that, that really worked, but like the, the, you know, the things that didn't work, like I said, is the whole thing of like the grand scheme of the picture, it, it didn't, it didn't make sense. Um, not to mention the, like the big twist on it. Um, you haven't seen Eternals. I'm, I'm about to spoil something here, so I'm just going to put it out there. Um, Icarus's turn. Uh, yeah, Icarus's turn. I saw coming a mile away. The second they introduced Selma Hayek's character dead, when they go looking for her, which, you know, getting to Selma Hayek real quick, I thought she did a good job, but she was like barely there to really have an effect on the movie, really one way or the other. But the whole thing with, with Icarus being, you know, like turning and, you know, like, oh no, uh, you know, I, I've been faithful to this for so long. I have to stick with it kind of thing. I saw that coming a mile away and it got really, really like just eye rollingly bad when Icarus decides to sacrifice himself by flying into the sun. I'm like, really? You couldn't have thought of something a little bit more inspired than just completely going with the Icarus myth of having him fly too close to the sun. Um, yeah, but that said, like, like I said, I liked the, I liked the movie on the whole. I, I had no problem with the, um, with the, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but you know, the, the character being gay, you know, they came out with the character being gay. And of course they, a lot of people made a big deal about that. And I'm like, I really don't think, should it, should it be made a big deal? I mean, yeah, it's, it's cool that it happened. I'm happy that there's that representation, but does it need to be advertised? Everyone's like, oh, Marvel's coming out with their first gay character. No, it just, just let it happen organically. But that's kind of what made it work is it wasn't really beating yourself, beating you over the head with it. It was just like, 
yeah, they come and find him. He's got a son. They introduce eventually that he's got a husband. So be it. It's the same way I felt about um, Sulu being gay in the, the Star Trek, the newer Star Trek movies. It's not like they were every five seconds, I'm going to go, you know, I don't forget I'm gay. No, it was just kind of this thing of like, you know, they're going back to Earth or I think they're going, yeah, they're going back to Earth and, you know, Sulu makes a comment, you know, he's going to see his his partner and his, um, uh, you know, and his kid. And then it's just this walk, this single scene of, I think it was uh, Kirk and Bones are walking away and they look over and you see Sulu with his boyfriend and their kid. It wasn't beating you over the head with it. It wasn't doing anything too crazy to, to like just rub it in your face, but it was there and it was a nice little touch. And I know there were people who were upset with it only because it's like, well, the only reason they did that is because George Takei is gay in real life, but I didn't feel like it was pandering. I really didn't. Um, Anyways, yeah, but to the to the character in Eternals being gay, I thought it was I thought it was well done. I liked I liked the movie. I just felt it really falls apart when you try to connect it to the broader universe. However, that said, I am really excited to see Kit Harrington take on the form of Black Knight, especially if they have him team up with Blade like they hint at in the post-credit sequence where he's looking at the, you know, his ancestral sword and you hear Marshal Ali's voice come up from off scene saying, are you sure you're ready for that? And I'm like, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant. I, I like Marshal Ali as an actor, but it's like, you know, he'll always be compared to, to me, he'll be compared to Wesley Snipes as Blade because he was the first Blade I knew, but I'm keeping, I'm, I do my best to keep an open mind with that. Um, so I'm going to move over to the the universe that I feel has the bigger problems movie-wise. And that would be DC, the what they call their DCEU. Um, oh, Jesus, where to go with this one? Um, I think they could have done something good. Um, starting it with Man of Steel wasn't the best start, but that's what you get when you go with Zack Snyder. And... That is something I will never stop talking about. I really feel Zack Snyder was the reason that universe fell. If they would have brought him in only to do some like uh, director of photography, oh man, it would have been amazing because the movies are all beautiful, but the storylines make no goddamn sense. You know, Man of Steel. Superman doesn't kill. I don't care. Like having him kill Zod at the end of that was just mind blowing. Um, mind blowingly stupid. I might add, um, him saving his father. The whole point of Jonathan Kent's uh, death in Superman stories is he dies of a heart attack. Something that Clark cannot stop. No matter how many powers he has, he can't stop time. That's the that's the beauty. Uh, that is where Superman really thrives, is as a character that has all this power, but there's still things he has no power over: time and the human condition. He can't do anything about those. So to have Jonathan Kent die in a uh, was it a tornado, and Jonathan Kent goes back and saves the dog, and then just tells Clark to no, no Clark could have like. Clark could have just zipped out there and got him and nobody would have known any different. But no. Or zipped out there, grabbed him, and took him somewhere else safe. But no. They just do this whole thing of like, no, he holds up his hand and he's supposed to be this emotional thing. It didn't work to me. Because Clark could have saved him in that situation. Clark Kent, or uh, Jonathan Kent dies of a heart attack. He can't save him there. It's a heart attack. It's a human thing. Um... So yeah, they got off on a bad foot. That and how much damage freaking uh, Superman does in that movie. Like he doesn't even try to take fights out of out of populated areas in that movie, and that just doesn't feel like Superman. Like you know, he'd be he'd be doing something to try to get the fight away from these big cities 
so that no one's getting hurt. Um, and then going forward to Batman v Superman, which stupid name for one thing. Um, oh, sorry, don't don't let me forget the the extra title of that Dawn of Justice, which pretty much tells you everything you need to know because it was like, oh look, Marvel's doing really well. We've got. We've got our two big character. We got our our one big character introduced. Let's just throw everyone else in this movie. Sure, only Batman and Wonder Woman had big parts. The other what two or three were in like little like camera sequences where you see Cyborg being created based on a. Well, they don't introduce till later that it was he was made based on one of the cubes or whatever. Um, you see Aquaman briefly and you see Flash really quick. And, but they threw like all this shit out there and none of it made any sense. Like, you know, and then their attempt to, oh, they bond over the fact that both their parents' names are Martha. That just came off as laughable. Not to mention throwing Doomsday into it and Doomsday like being made from, what was it? It was like the blood of Zod and. I don't know. It was really convoluted. And then Jesse Eisenberg is fucking Lex Luthor. Why? Why? Why can they not do Lex Luthor? Like, Lex Luthor has got to be one of my favorite villains in DC. And that's why it hurts that nobody gets... Like, even, like, I, I love the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. But Gene Hackman was not a good Lex Luthor. They made him too, too zany. Then you go to, uh, oh, was it Superman Returns, where you have Kevin Spacey, which, dude, you got Kaiser fucking Soze playing Lex Luthor. Why are you going with Zany still? Why not have him be the evil genius he is? And then we bring in Jesse Eisenberg, and he's like taking Jolly Ranchers and putting them in people's mouths. And he's supposed to be like a tech. He's supposed to be like a, basically they, they tried to play him as if he's a dipshit from Facebook. No, Mark Zuckerberg. No, dude, just one, he's too young. And two, he just, he did it. It wasn't good. Um, But that's, that's another uphill battle to me. Um. But then, you know, you and you, know, you just keep on moving forward. And the problem, like Wonder Woman, great movie. The first Wonder Woman was good. I still haven't watched the second one because the first time I saw a trailer, I knew it was going to be shit. They already lost their, their good faith with the first one. Um, but it just, like, I don't know. It's like, and then, you know, like, another thing that they had going for them was, like, I really thought Ben Affleck could have been a good Bruce Wayne slash Batman. But once again, shitty scripts from Snyder just threw all that out the window, giving him horrible dialogue, all this stuff. And then getting into, you know, then you go forward into justice league where they're finally going to start throwing every, they're just going to throw everybody together. Like after no inner really solo introductions to any of the other characters. And it, it was a dumpster fire. I mean, yeah, you had, Joss Whedon come in and do a little treat, you know, treatment right up. And you took all the dark side, all the dark side references you could out of it, but it didn't make it a good movie because the, the, the bare bones of that, the bones of that script were horrible. There was no fixing it. Um, that said, there were some great little moments that you could probably definitely tell were Joss Whedon moments because Joss Whedon is really good at having characters sitting around and just having this cool banter. So, like, the scene where, you know, Aquaman's going on a, a, you know, like a speech and he's sitting there and all of a sudden he starts saying stuff that's, like, really, really personal. And you're like, man, this is a really, like, tender moment. And then he has this kind of funny look on his face and somebody points down and he's sitting on the lasso of truth. So, it's, like, making him talk true. That was a great little funny moment that kind of cut the edge of a otherwise horrible movie. Um... You know, trying to do the rebirth of Superman. You know, although there were little things with that that worked. Like, I liked the... Uh, I liked the whole, you know, Superman gets resurrected and they're trying to, like, calm him down. And Flash is trying to run around the side of him and he realizes that Superman can keep up with him. 
Like he realized that Superman's watching him and you get this really funny look on Barry's face. But that's another problem is Barry, that didn't feel like Barry, Barry Allen to me, given I'm not the biggest fan of Barry Allen. I'm more of a Bart Allen fan or a Wally West fan. But that aside, I know where they're going. You know, I knew they were going to go with Barry Allen and that's, that's fine. But, you know, it just, it, it had moments, but nothing really came together on it. I think like where DC has done their best work is where it's clear they have the least amount of interruption on. Um, well, I won't say hundred percent because, um, I like both the Suicide Squad movies and I like uh, Harley, uh, was it uh, Birds of Prey? The first, but I will say the first, the first uh, Suicide Squad had its problems. All the stuff with Jared Leto's Joker, aside from the stuff that was establishing uh, Harley Quinn's backstory, Need, should never been in that movie. Like he, the whole stuff with him, like trying to save Harley, just to kind of let her go in the long run, it made no sense to me. Like it, it just had this. Like they couldn't make up their mind. They wanted to put the Joker in, and on top of the fact that it's just it's a bad portrayal of Joker. But then again, I I, I will get into why how I mentally make excuses for his Joker existing. Um, but yeah, he, you know, it's like the, the story was okay, but it just, it, it was too harebrained. Like they, it was like, they wanted to put too much into that package. Like I liked the team. I love suicide squad. It's a, it's a fun premise, especially this version of it. Um, I've only read a little bit of when it was like, you know, the original versions. Um, but like, I liked the team they had put together I kind of felt they wasted El Diablo. I really like that character in comics. So it was kind of like, eh, I mean, they, they, they did enough with him, but they could have done more. Um, but it was so clear that Harley Quinn was their main, Harley Quinn and Deadshot were their main focuses. Um, and that said, I didn't mind Will Smith as Deadshot. Yeah, he was Will Smith playing Will Smith, pretending to be Deadshot, but it wasn't horrible. Um, where it, where it fell apart, like I said, was the all the stuff with the Joker. And then I love the character Enchantress, but she was a little high concept to go with right off the bat for a main villain. I really think you could have found somebody else as the villain of that. And had, if you wanted to do the story with June Moon slash Enchantress and make her eventually become a bad guy, why not do it slowly? Have it be, you know, yeah, she's on this team. She's reluctant. Because she doesn't really have full control of the power. And they play with that. But then they just have her go full evil real quick. And it's like, you know, why not have her do, you know, like maybe she, she le she's learning to control the power through, her, through the help of Rick Flagg. All this kind of stuff. And then down the line, like maybe you hint at the end of the first Suicide Squad that like maybe she doesn't have as much control as she thinks she does. And then you can go forward with her being a, a, a villain at some point in time. But going straight to her being the main villain, like, Cara Delevingne does a decent job, other than, like, the whole ethereal dance thing when she's moving around kind of came off hokey. And it went way too high concept way too quickly. That's not a, that's not a threat the Suicide Squad would be, should be sent in thereafter, if you ask me. Um... So I'll get to the, the Joker thing. Okay. So it, it to to make me at least make some sense of Jared Leto's Joker, because that is so far from anything the original, the actual Joker is, is I follow a couple little threads that are never mentioned, but they're just kind of seen throughout uh, Dawn of Justice into Suicide Squad. And that's... In Dawn of Justice, you see a point where Ben Affleck is in the Batcave and he's looking at a suit of Robin. And it has the Joker's writing on it. I think it says ha 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 or maybe it says the Joker on it too. I can't remember. So in my, my belief system is the Joker you are seeing Jared Leto play is not the original Joker. I think that's either Jason Todd 
or Tim Drake perverted to be the next Joker. Like he, Leo, you go with similar to death, uh, death in the family storyline. Joker kidnaps Jason Todd or whoever the, 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 the Robin was supposed to be beats the holy hell out of him. But instead of actually killing him, like maybe he, he doesn't finish the task, but what happens to Jason Todd or whichever Robin is so bad that Batman snaps Maybe he doesn't kill him, but he does something severely bad, and that leaves Joker gone. Like Joker's gone for whatever reason. I don't. I don't. I can't see Batman killing him. That's just weird to me because Batman doesn't kill, and I think that's that's a really important thing to keep for any Batman is no killing. Um, but so to me, that is who Jared Leto is. That explains the gold gold grill is like maybe he had his teeth all knocked out beat by the joker something along those lines he was left for dead but whatever he went through in this through this torture of the joker it fucked him in the head so at some point in time and that's that's why maybe and that and to me that's also why ben affleck plays such a like a beaten down by life Batman. Like, you know, he's seen some shit. They never really get into what he's seen and what's happened in his earlier points of being Batman. But there's something that's haunting him. And to me, that could be it. If they ever, like, and why they didn't, they, they could have done this. But, and like, maybe this was intentionally, or it was uh, initially supposed to be done and just got thrown to the side for some reason. But to me, that's the story, is... A Robin got kidnapped by the Joker, just completely decimated to the point that he was broken. Batman haunted by what happened to the to Robin doesn't necessarily kill the Joker, but some like I said, something had to have happened to the original Joker. I'm not gonna pretend like I have any theories on what whatever, but Joker's dead, Joker's gone, whatever. And this this Rob, former Robin, so broken, becomes his worst nemesis now. What is worse to Batman than being than having to face this this ally? He has very few allies as it is. So imagine how much that would haunt Bruce Wayne to see this kid he took under his wing with all good intentions be perverted against him. Um. And so, yeah, like, I guess to, to that level, that's what makes me somewhat okay with Jared Leto's Joker. But I have to do a lot of work in my own head to, to rectify that. So that kind of says what you need to know about that. Um, let me see if I got any other notes here. Because I tackled the Jared Leto Joker. Yeah, I think that's pretty much... You know that that that's a good place to wrap up, I guess. You know, I've already gone decent anyway. So, uh, with that, I guess I'll just say um, thank you to everybody out there listening. Thank you to the people who support me. Um, and if you want to get a hold of me, maybe you have some thoughts on what I've rambled on about here today. Maybe you you have a topic you'd like to hear me talk about. Maybe you just want to, you know. Ask me a question or whatever. Um, you can reach me at standstrongcast.com. Let's restart that. Standstrongcast at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, you can reach me there. So, with that, I will just say my one last thank you once again to Spider for my artwork. Because I will never stop thanking him for that. He he did good by me. You know, he, he, he's really done good by me. And, you know, really did me a solid on this one. Um, So, yeah, I will, with that, I will say have a good one and see you in two weeks.